Can you believe it? The end of 2019. It's done. Um, for some of us. <laughs> some of us still has to work the next couple of weeks. Um, like me. So pray for me. <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> Especially tomorrow, 38 degrees. Um, thinking about this year, for some of us, this year has been like a marathon where uh, we've wanted to quit. And maybe through this year, you have, you quit. You just gave up. Stop trying. Somewhere along the way, someone just said, just take another step. Just try something different. Just keep going. And for every one of us sitting here, and for everyone, guess what? We're at the end of another year. Um, I think by now, all of us realize that the changing of years doesn't change much. So change has to come from a different place than just the change of a calendar month. It has to be invoked and invited by something way deeper than just the shift from a December to a January. But thinking about Sam's quote, and I must say, every time Sam just says that, that, that quote, it feels like the Lion King. I mean, the whole universe almost shivers. It's like, just say it again, Sammy. I almost want to invite you up just to say it. I just want to feel it again. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's so much truth in that. I'm still, I'm still convinced that quote. Sorry. Some... Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's the echo. It's the eternal echo. I almost looked up to the sky. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but thinking about the fact that so many of us get the opportunity to do December... And we go into 2020, and just, just think about it, next year is 2020. I mean, years ago when I thought about 2020, I thought I would be flying with strange, uh, what, what do you call it, um, hoverboards and all kinds of weird stuff. And the reality is life is still pretty normal. It's still very similar, but there's a lot of other different changes to it. So we've still, we're still living a very normal, very sane life. So good idea at this point of the year to start asking a few critical questions. What are some of the things that you need to reflect on? Or will you do the same thing that so many people do, just flip over from one year to the next, hoping that a change in month will change you? And for some of you, the probably not so good news, but I reckon it's the best news for you, it won't. If you want change and, and if you want the fullness of what God made available for you, you've got to invite it. You've got to almost welcome it into your life. And I want to take you through three words tonight that I believe um, words that has the capacity to change the way we think about life. And if we invite these words into our way of thinking, and more than just our way of thinking, into our way of living, I'm convinced that it has the capacity to set us up for something different in 2020. First word I've got on the screen is the word thankful. Something about the concept of thankfulness, just reading um, about what some of the psychs say, the psychologist says about thankfulness or gratitude, they say it's still one of the most effective things that has the ability to rewire your brain. Just the ability to, to look at your life, and instead of asking the question, what's wrong with my life, 
starting with the question, what's right with my life? Actually going into life and into your experience, not with a negative bias, but challenging yourself with just this one thing. What am I actually thankful for? I believe as Christians, we've got this incredible gift. The fact that more than 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to carry the weight of our sins. He forgave us, renewed us, restored us, and placed us in this incredible new relationship with Him. And still sometimes we find ourselves with this question in, in our hearts, is there something that I'm actually thankful for? I reckon it's one of the best things that you can do is just to reflect on what the cross means for you. Listening to these testimonies, it's evident that God's been working in Irana. There's been so many good things happening in our community. Uh, but at the same time, we know that there's people that's been here, and it's been a very just flatline year. Or some people has had a bit of a down year. So how do we come to a point in our life where we say, God, if you're working and if you're moving, I want to I have in. And I reckon reflecting on what are you thankful for is one of the key things to do. See, it's so easy to fall in the trap of I would have, could have, and should have. But have you actually looked back at the last 12 months to find little moments to say, God, thank you for that moment. And not just thank you for every high in your life. But actually being thankful for the challenges. Thank, thankful for those opportunities that it exposed little character traits in you because now you know what to work on. Have you actually taken time to say, hey, life, me? <laughs> Looking back, there, was, there were key moments in my life where I failed miserably. But those are key learning opportunities and I'm actually thankful for that. Or are we just stuck in the mode of just looking back, celebrating the highs, and almost saying, oh, so thankful that all the lows are gone. We learn so much more out of the lows in our life than just the highs. So one of the things that I like to do is I like to find words that um, start with the same letter to help me think through little paradigms that I can remember. Hopefully it helps you, but I know it helps me. When I thought about things that I need to reflect on, I realized that it's important not to get stuck in the first one, regret. Some of us, when we look back at 2019, there's going to be a few things that you look back on thinking that I am very regretful about that. And if that dominates your mind and your experience, it's almost as if you are stuck in your disappointment. So we don't want you to reflect in order to fall stuck in disappointment and to fall stuck in your regret. Some of us have some remorse where we know that we are struggling with guilt. And guilt is, is such a dangerous thing because guilt, if left long enough, has the ability to convince you internally that you are wrong, that there's something deeply wrong inside of you and there's nothing more powerful than guilt to negate the work of grace and the work of forgiveness in the life of a person. So there's this regret and this remorse. For some of us, there's this reminiscing where we're stuck in our past. We believe our best season has gone. Hopefully not in this crowd. Um, realizing that, that there's still great things coming. 
But we fall stuck in this reminiscing because we think we need to build a monument for God instead, uh, instead of realizing that God wants us to build a movement, a kingdom expression that is constantly growing, constantly changing, constantly morphing into something that has the ability to affect the culture that we're living in. So those three R's, regret, remorse, or reminiscing, are things that I believe has the ability to, 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 to trip you up. The th fourth one is to reflect. To consider the past with a filter of gratitude and thankfulness for the hits and the misses. Using our disappointments, our guilt, and our past to feel hope for the future. The amazing thing is you've gone through it. It's done. So Paul comes in Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7, and he speaks, um, he challenges us with this reference. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now that word rejoice isn't just a, hey, nice little thing. It actually means to find your joy in the one who is Lord over your life. That if there's a place where you can find joy, the best place to find it is not in some little thrill experience, but it's actually coming to a point in your life recognizing that the only true source of joy is in Christ, in your Lord. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always, in every situation. And I love the fact that he feels the need to repeat that. And again I say, rejoice. I know for a fact that there are people sitting here tonight who's lost the ability to find joy in the life that they're living. And I want to say it's not just going to come out of heaven. Paul says, you find joy in Christ. It's a posture of humility, but also a posture of hoping that there's something available in Christ that has the ability to transcend your circumstance, your mind, and your experience at this moment. He says, let your gentleness or your graciousness be evident to all, that in your graciousness that people will realize that God is near. And then he comes with this incredible statement. He says, do not be anxious about anything. To which I would say, Paul, you are smoking something. Imagine that. Imagine someone in our time making a comment about that. Do not be anxious about anything. And I sort of go in my little twirl thinking that, Paul, if you knew the life that I lived, if you knew the challenges that I face day by day, if you knew the culture, and then I just remind myself that, um, I think his head was chopped off. He was in prison. He was stoned. He was beaten. I reckon I've got a pretty good life. So the guy saying this isn't the guy that hasn't been tested through experiences. He's been challenged. He's been tested. He's been martyred. And he comes at a point where he says that if you know what joy is available in Christ, it is possible to find that there is a place in life where you won't be anxious about anything. And I love the but. Because there's something in the but. Jeez, I've got to be careful. But there is something in that. Where he says, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul actually teaches us how to pray, that in every situation, find a way to pray by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving. You know what frustrates the life out of me? Is engaging prayer ceremonies where we're circumventing the negative, not realizing that it's about actually proclaiming and prophesying and speaking the life of God's word into situations. That there's something, when Paul says, present your requests, it's actually present your desires to God. So ask yourself the question, when was the last time that you did enough thinking to know what you actually wanted before you prayed? So normally we come to God with our needs. Oh God, it's so tough, so difficult, and it's all those things. And, God, and Paul says, if you pray, come in every situation, but in that situation, ask yourself, what do you actually want? And bring your desire to God, not just your need. Have you ever thought about what you want out of that situation? What your real desire is? And he says, in that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, every anxiety, every fear, every insecurity, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And can I just say thankfulness and gratitude impacts our ability to see life. That some of us are sitting here and we're stuck in that negative spiral of being ungrateful and unthankful and we're so focused and obsessed about my needs and my challenges and my hurts and everything that unpacks that. And guess what happens? You can't see past your brokenness if you are stuck in ungratefulness. It impacts your ability to see. Because the next word, out of thankfulness, I am convinced that thankfulness triggers hope, the sense of being hopeful. Where thankful looks back, hopeful looks forward. And we all know driving a car, the necessity of having a rear view mirror, but you've got to focus on the front windscreen way more than the rear, rear view mirror. <laughs> Almost a tongue tie. Hopeful speaks about what my expectation is of moving forward. And so many of us thinking about a next year and a next experience enter into next seasons with a sense of I am empty. I've got nothing more to give. I'm done. I'm depleted. But the word thankful <laughs> releases something in you. And it brings you to a point of being hopeful. Listen to what Romans 15 verse 13 says. Paul comes and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. I love this. Because there's moments in life where you can't manufacture joy or peace or hope. There's little experiences in life, for some of us, not little, some serious experiences where you, you know you can't manufacture that on your own. And Paul comes and he says, May the God of hope fill you. That some of us has to come to a point saying, God, I have no hope, I have no joy, and I have no peace. But I'm trusting that you would fill me. He says that he would fill you uh, with all joy and peace as you trust him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It isn't just brain mechanics. This is something that God brings to us. It's the way that He fills us. It's the way, it's the way that He empowers us. And when I read this, I sort of thought, Clinton, if there is any area in your life that you have lost hope, you have not surrendered that area to the Lordship of Christ. Any area in my life where I sit back and I say, okay, I'm hopeful in all of this, but this area, I've lost hope. It means that I have surrendered, I have not surrendered in that area of my life to the Lordship of Christ. Because two words that I think is a natural expression from people that has hope is that they have enthusiasm, and I love the word enthusiasm, it speaks of entheos, God within them, so it's not just a hype myself up kind of experience, God is in me, that makes me enthusiastic, and I'm expecting that people who are thankful are hopeful, and they have a natural enthusiasm for life, and a natural hope and expectancy for what God could do next, and that brings us to the last one being fruitful. But it's not just about being thankful. I believe thankfulness triggers hope. Thankfulness triggers being hopeful that releases fruitfulness. And that's our word for 2020. I believe that 2020, or as team, leadership, elders, CLC, we believe that 2020 will be a year of fruitfulness. Something about fruitfulness is the fact that fruit has to be seen. That fruit isn't some kind of philosophical thing. You want to eat it. There's something about fresh fruit. I mean, we walk into Coles, and what do, we, what do we look for? Or Willies. We look for the freshest fruit available. Anyone around here want to take a nice piece of off peach and have a bite of that? I love that, I love that analogy. That for some of us, we had fruit in previous seasons of our lives. But we need to consider fresh fruit. Just what does it look like for us to live in fruitfulness? It's mentioned 13 times in the book of Genesis. Be fruitful. It's one of the original commands. And then Jesus comes in John 15 verse 16. I love this. Comes to his disciples just before he goes into the whole journey of being crucified. And he says to them, you did not choose me. If you thought you started following me because you saw a few good things, you did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you so that you could go and bear fruit. That's part of the call that God has for every one of us. He said, it's, it's, it's my mandate. It's the destiny that I have for your life, that you will go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask in, my, in uh, uh, the Father in my name, that he will give you. Imagine that. Imagine those references, that realizing that God chose me, God destined me, and He appointed me, not just for faithfulness. I think it's something that, that almost bores the people outside of the church, thinking um, that some people feel that we've been called to live a faithful Christian life. And I'm not against faithfulness. I'm actually for it, because faithfulness is incredibly important, but it's not the only thing. We're called not just to be a faithful presence, but a fruitful presence. There has to be some sign, some evidence that God is in you. Where if it's all about just being a faithful presence, it's me and God and my little closed community. But if we bear fruit, John 15 says, the whole world will see and God will be glorified. And for some of us here, we're living great faithful lives. 
And I want to say continue, but please don't stop there. Ask God to bring you to a place of fruitfulness. So with that, we're going to go into a time of communion, um, where we have a communion station at the front and at the back over there. We want to ask you to do something different tonight. Um, we want to ask you to take your communion, to, to have your moment with God. But then we've got a tree over here. Um, we, it's our fruitfulness tree for 2020. Where we want to ask you to take one of those little apples. We couldn't find a grape big enough, so it's an apple, if that's okay with you. Uh, we want you to reflect tonight and asking the question, what am I thankful for? Just writing it on the back of this. But then the second question, what am I trusting God for? In what area of my life do I want fruitfulness in 2020? This is possible for us because Jesus decided to obey God's desire, to pay the ultimate price for us, the death um, of His beloved Son on a cross. And I love the fact that the Bible speaks of it in a way that if Jesus as a seed didn't die, there wouldn't be a harvest. And what we're seeing here, what we're seeing across the world is a harvest of people that have come into the same life that Jesus had because of His sacrifice. So fruitfulness is available to every one of us. So you're invited to this table, not because you've earned a place, but because you need God's mercy, because God loves you, but also because you want to love God more. That this table is not an isolated table, it's a table that invites everyone. You're able to come to this because Jesus first loved us. And he gave himself. And because he wants you to be filled with his very life. More than that, he wants you to be filled with the mystery of his grace. So on the night that Jesus was handed over, he had a meal with his friends. He took a loaf of bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. That every time we eat of that bread, it symbolizes the fact that the body of Christ was crucified for us so that we can benefit from that. He said, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine and giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you, because this is the blood of the new covenant. You are walking into something so completely new. So drink this, because this is the sign that symbolizes the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you do this, remember me. So I want to pray for you before we go into a time of just sharing communion and then going to the tree and just taking a moment and thinking about what we are thankful for and what we are trusting for. So God, our Creator, thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, whose love pursues us our whole life long. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life to us in word and in deed, even death. Just thinking about the fact that you were so committed to us, Lord, that you gave yourself uh, unto death on a cross. So tonight we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, feed us with your love, your power. Give us the ability to love God with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and to love others as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen.